Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Are We There Yet? I'm Katie Gossett. And when babies start life, there are lots of great milestones. First smiles, rolling over, learning to walk. But the one chapter in a baby's life that no one seems to get very excited about is toilet training. So much so that around about now, when I'd normally chuck in some archival audio, there really wasn't much to choose from. Well, not about toilet training anyway. Although the audio does show that people had heaps of kids running around. How in the olden days, when there used to be big families and lots of the, of the older men and older women listening now, and they say, oh, yes, we had, we had 11, we had 9. Isn't it fun, a big family like that? So that was back in 1950, Aunt Daisy talking about big families. Well, that's all well and good, but what did they do with all those pooey nappies? There was no talk about toilet training. Until this woman, who I found in a programme from the 1970s, who sounds pretty fed up with the whole business. Even the potty training with my twins. One was trained at two and two months, and I found it very difficult to understand why the other one refused to be trained. Two and eight months, six months later, before she suddenly took her own nappies off one day and was trained overnight. Still, it does seem like things happened a lot faster back in those days. So, in the interests of research, I speak to my own mother, who also raised children in the 70s, about how she did things. You started off right from the beginning by holding the baby out, as it was called, over a pot which you balance between your knees and you just let the baby lie back against your tummy and after it had had a feed, that was the automatic reaction that happened. And my three children and most of my friends' children were all potty trained by the time they were about 15 months. So has something changed? Because it does seem to take longer these days. Our son was a very heavy sleeper and um, he just could not be dry at night and the advice we got from doctors was don't worry don't stress about it he'll grow out of it and this went on and on and on and eventually when he was I think probably seven seven and a half or eight we thought this is ridiculous. One of my kids still wears a nappy at night and he's at school he shouldn't be really but he is but his twin brother is dry at night and I haven't done anything different it's a bit of a pain in the neck for him you know he's got a sleepover tonight actually and I'm thinking, what's he going to do? You have to buy him a pull-up or something? or It's a bit, you know, almost embarrassing. It's a bit embarrassing because he's five. So you can try and do it fast, or you can take your time. But at some point, you've got to decide how you're going to approach it. So to do or not to do toilet training. So like many developmental milestones, it can feel difficult as a parent to know when is the right time to make the move from nappies. So this is Catherine Gallagher, our clinical psychologist, who makes the point that finding out how to toilet train has never been easier. There's a wealth of information online, but she says it's knowing how and when to use it that can be tricky. Of course, our children are never textbook. So part of applying such information is also to look at your child and see what they're up to. Um, sometimes our kids step outside the curve 
And these kinds of resources are aimed at, I'm doing this in inverted commas, normal developmental curves. And that might not fit our child at this time. And it can cause even more angst when you look around and feel like everyone else has got it sorted. There seems to be almost at times a kind of, in inverted commas, competition between parents about their children toileting and this one was toileted at this age and rah, 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 and my Johnny's doing this, you know. So other parents can really help you, or not. Sometimes they can feel like no more ruthless a judge than another mother whose son is happily running around in his undies. Because if we think about anxiety as a parent, it's huge and often milestones provide a point of comparison. So it's very natural and normal to feel like you're getting something wrong. And that's why you need a good group of people around you to support you through the process. Because I think if you hope and expect that all parents are going to be on the same team, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because I think sometimes the anxiety of this task means that we can... I suppose make ourselves feel a little bit safer and more confident if we can kind of look at someone else and go, well, we're doing better than they are. Because <laughs> that can make us go, phew, we're not stuffing it up too much. Now, I'm not trying to cast aspersions. You know, most parents, most people um, go about life and try and be supportive and understanding. But this can feel like a dog-eat-dog world out there in terms of, you know, whose child is doing what. And I think we can get messages that if it's not within the normal curve, or we're not keeping up, then there's something wrong. Now, of course, not being quite right does not mean wrong. It means a lovely grey area where we actually spend a lot of our time as human beings. But even within that grey area, there are also some figures about who's doing what. So no matter how well you do as a parent, some children are going to experience delays. About 3-4% to 4 of those between 4 and 12 are going to have daytime wetting, and about 15% of 5-year-olds and still 5% of 10-year-olds are going to be wetting the bed at night time. Really important not to panic. In a lot of cases, this might well right itself of its own accord. But if your child's over 5 in terms of daytime wetting and over 7 in terms of nighttime wetting, you might want to seek some support through your GP, nurse ward or the public health nurse. Of course, along the way, a lot of parents have come up with tricks that work for them. I've got five boys, so it's quite good when they're outside, they'll just go wee on the lemon tree when they need to go to the toilet, rather than actually using a potty. Yeah, but um, we have a very good lemon tree. We still use it because we've got six kids and one toilet. <laughs> so it's still um, pretty busy in our toilet. We bought an alarm. You know, the, the child wears undies to bed and you clip this alarm on and it's got a moisture sensor and as soon as there's any sign of moisture, this really loud alarm would go off and it wakes the child up. Basically, the child has to do it themselves, take responsibility for it. So, you know, get up, go to the loo. And literally, this cured him in about less than a week. So, when it's happening, it's the middle of the night, your child's wet their bed and they're crying and it's frustrating, obviously. But you've got to handle it gently with your child. So to focus on bedwetting, or nocturnal enuresis, which is the fancy word for it, it's really important to know that wetting happens while a child is asleep. So it is not their fault, or your fault. Try and not get angry. So this is not something they're doing on purpose. And if you are feeling frustrated, that's kind of normal, um, but it's really important to try and find some ways to calm yourself and get support around this. And that might be a time to talk to your GP or your public health nurse to get some resources. If the bedwetting is primary, in other words, they've never had full control, the issue is that their brains do not effectively get the message while they are sleeping that the bladder is full. And so rather than tighten the muscles and contract 
concentrate the urine, the bladder relaxes and the wheeze is the result. And often part of the problem is that children who wet their beds are really deep sleepers. So when they get up to go to the toilet at night, you've got to make sure they're fully awake. Often parents will talk about, well, we just kind of get them to the toilet and they're still half asleep and we get them back and they, you know, just flop into bed. If you're going to do that, make sure you wake them up. Because the whole idea is actually them being alert enough and know um, and their body starts to train. So this is not about trying to teach them to do this stuff while half asleep. If your child is over four, then try cutting out nappies to get them out of the habit. But by the same token, when it comes to bedtime, be practical. Prepare the bed with a plastic mattress cover. So we aren't crossing our fingers and hoping for the best. We're dealing with reality, and in this case it might be that your child's a wetter at the moment. So we're moving them through this phase, um, but they're in this phase right now, so we have to deal with it rather than wish it wasn't the case. And then remember to be positive. Praise, praise, praise again. So, you know, this is effortful. So if you see your child making movements, even from a bigger patch of wee to a smaller patch of wee, or one wet as opposed to two, these are all fantastic gains and need to be really praised. And if it keeps happening, having your child help with the clean-up can be a really good motivator. Really important to involve the child in dealing with the consequences of a wet bed. So this is not from a punishment perspective but more about I suppose involving them in the inconvenience of the fact that when you do wet there is a changing of sheets and there is a you know getting in the shower and, and dealing with all those kinds of things so that it may well increase their motivation. Reward systems are also pretty handy in terms of dry nights and that can confuse parents because they think well if, if a reward would work does that mean they're doing this on purpose? Absolutely not. But what a reward does is increase motivation to at least try and think about these things and, and kind of be active participant as opposed to someone where this is happening to them. But sometimes there's more going on and stress might be playing a role. Often what you find is that children, if it's a newly acquired developmental skill, if some stress comes on, that requires the resources. So the stuff they've just recently learned tends to fall away a little bit. But if your child's older and has been dry for a while, it could be the sign of something bigger. If it's a change in behaviour, it probably isn't the only change that's happening in their behaviour. And so um, it's important just to check in with your child or get support around checking in with your child about what might be going on for them. So you know they, they can be a signal that the, the child is experiencing some emotional distress. And if you're feeling distressed about it, make sure you get some help. I think in my years of working in this area, peeing and pooing are some of those things that create a lot of distress for parents. And um, so if this is you, then get some support. And that's it for today. This podcast is presented and produced by me, Katie Gossett. Duncan Smith mixed the music and Tim Watkin is our executive producer. The archival audio comes courtesy of Nga Taonga Sound and Vision and Archives New Zealand. If you liked this, you can go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe there or go to the podcast page at rnz.co.nz. And while you're there, you can check out other podcasts like Our Changing World, stories about science and the environment from around Aotearoa. And don't miss our next episode where I'll look at raising a transgender child. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.